How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. Weird morning recording, though. It is. Yeah, it's really weird recording in the morning because... The reason why we're recording this morning is because currently it is 9.09 a.m. Pacific time. And unfortunately, I got called in yesterday to work this afternoon so that's why we're recording this morning yeah but i feel fresh yeah i just sort of rolled out of bed i was i was gonna get up at like 5 30 go to the gym do what i gotta do you know to get ready for the show 5 30 rolled around i'm thinking no 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 it's not happening so i slept instead it was great <laughs> awesome yeah so, Tim, this episode is Season 2, Episode 21, in chronological order, Episode 49, the Chris Domenico episode. So, I gotta ask the all-important question, any memories of Chris Domenico? He's definitely an interesting player, because he's like one of those guys where you really wanted to root for him after you realized that this guy actually was gonna have an, probably a good career until he just broke his freaking femur. And then, even when he played for the Ottawa Senators, he wasn't bad he was a good depth option and then to see that the guy they traded him for Billy Polka they just kind of let him go was definitely a shame yeah it was a little disheartening too right because D Domenico and you're right he was a really good depth piece he was never going to be a superstar but he fit the role that he needed and I feel he did it well mm-hmm. yeah. and that's definitely more than coach's kid Tom Pyatt could ever say but that is, uh, that is true Tim that is true Actually, it's funny, you know, when I think about Christy Domenico, I only have one real memory. It has nothing to do with Christy Domenico himself. It goes back to when we were doing the so-called practice episodes, and this is right uh-huh. around the time that Christy Domenico joined the Senators, and when I heard D. Domenico, I thought it sounded a lot like Dean Malenko, former professional wrestler, and you're like, uh-huh. and you're like, oh, was he good? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really watch WCW. <laughs> The other thing I do remember is the Gabriel Dumont waiver wire shuffle. Oh my god, I totally forgot about Dumont. <laughs> boy, remember when he was sensed whipping boy for a while? Because he was bad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he joined the um, the very exclusive list, also joined by Cody Cece, Johnny Oduya, and Tom Pyatt. Even Magnus Pierre at times. Even Magnus Pierre at times. So for next week's episode, it's going to be Season 2, Episode 22. We're halfway to syndication, Tim. Episode 50, and we're not going to have a poll this week because we only have one player who wore number 50. That's kind of surprising. 50 seems like a nice round number. It does, until you realize who it is. Uh Uh-huh. I would like to give you a hint. He was a point-per-game player. He injured guys in training camp, and he recently got traded. Patty Seeloff. Yep, Patrick Seeloff. Oh, no. 
Yeah, Patty Seeloff. Boy, I'm really not going to miss him. Although, you know, his point-per-game production with the Senators will never be matched. There's still hope. There's still hope, yeah. Goal per game at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we still have a lot of young guys on the team, so, you know, hopefully one of those guys can step up and catch the the true legend of the Ottawa Senators, Patrick Seeloffs. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, I'm really glad that you and I can get together this morning to do a Third Life Plug Sensecast because we got to talk about something that I said last week on the podcast because last week was our trade deadline episode. We talked about... Yeah the unfortunate news of Mark Stone being traded. And I also went on a rant about Sense Twitter's reaction to this. Well, after probably three or four days, I was still pretty fired up about it. I'm thinking, okay, you know, we could probably come back to this on Monday and we can talk about it and get our thoughts on it. And then one of our listeners on Twitter hit us up and said that... She did agree with most of the comments we made until Pierre Dorian did his TSN 1200 interview, which completely refuted a lot of the points I made. So I just want to go on record by saying this. The rant itself has its merits. I still agree that Sense Twitter overreacted because, honestly, I don't know why we were all still surprised. And I still say that we knew all three of them weren't going to stay. So I don't know why we were all so upset. We were upset, and you were right. We're upset because it's because of a passion. It's because we're passionate about these players. We want them to stay, and they didn't. And the TSN 1200 interview Pierre Doran made absolutely refuted most, if not all, of the points that they made. That especially the ones about Eugene Melnick putting Dorian in an awkward position. Because if you listen to that interview, I really didn't get that sense, Tim. I have a hard time with Dorian because, and we're going to see it later this week in top of the hour, but, and we see this all the time with uh, the Sen COO, Nick Rakowski. They say one thing and then do something completely different. You can't take anything anyone in this organization says prima facie. It's true, and even on the... About Eugene Melnick. Yeah, but even on the most recent Sense Call-Ups episode, Pan mentioned that too. He says, you know, that Pierre Dorian said that either he or his assistant would be with the team, and then March would be like, oh, well, we don't know what's going on with this team. Mm-hmm. So it's like, honestly, I really don't know what to make of the 1200 interview because it could just be prima facie, or it could be Dorian was given, say the shit or you're fired. Like, Eugene Melnick is fucking insane, and unlike Brian Murray, I don't think Pierre Dorian can manage up quite as well. Or at all. No, because I know even Paul McLean went on record talking about Melnick, and he said when he was working with the Senators, Brian Murray got seven calls by Murray, or Murray got seven calls by Melnick telling him he has to fire Paul McLean, and Brian Murray said, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Melnick definitely, I wouldn't say he's full on insane, he's definitely very impatient. And you can even say, because, again, the Senators are the only thing left he owns, that part of the reason why he's so impatient is because he gets bored. Maybe. But at the same time, phoning a guy seven times. Yeah. It, yeah, it's insane. And, 
you know what? I know that Paul McLean, in the end, wasn't the greatest coach we've had. But to get seven phone calls to fire him, I still don't think is really the way to go. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, he did get fired. But still, seven calls. But then again, when you hear, especially after Brian Murray's passing, you hear a lot of stories about Melnick wanting to rip the team and rip the coaches, and Brian Murray was the buffer. He got in between that and says, no, you're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, well, a lot of people have said it was Brian Murray was fantastic at managing up. Mm-hmm. He managed his own damn boss. Yeah, and we definitely saw how that has all played out since Brian Murray passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So I have a few points here I want to make about the TSM 1200 interview. Now, I want to go on record saying that I did re-listen to it this morning. So a lot of these points I want to make here, I totally forgot about because I heard it once. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is not good. And I had to re-listen to it again so I know what points I want to make for this morning. So I just want to go on record here. It says, Pierre Doran, he made claims saying that the deadline was the proudest day he has ever had as a GM, especially in the Mark Stone trade when he landed Brunstrom. Because he's a 19-year-old defenseman who is killing it in the American leagues right now, which is like, okay, that's cool. That's great that we have a 19-year-old, really talented defenseman in the system, but... In the end, was it really worth trading Mark Stone for? It's definitely hard to say because uh, you got the feeling that Mark Stone wasn't 100% buying in. There's rumors going around that it's either the money wasn't fine or they weren't willing to give out a no-move clause or something. Because mm-hmm. from what I heard that the money was good, it was the fact that there, was a, there wasn't a no-move clause. And Stone or Stone's camp had said... That if he want if Stone was going to sign in Ottawa, he wants to control where he's going to end up. Hmm. Which, honestly, fair. Yeah, absolutely. That is very fair. And if that's all that there was between us keeping Mark Stone and not keeping Mark Stone, then that's really frustrating. It is. And actually, one guy I really got to commend is Ian Mendes because, especially in the questioning. When talking to Dorian, he went hard at Dorian. He asked mm-hmm. Dorian if he understands the frustration of the fans and the fans' disconnection with the team, which Dorian claims is not true. Yeah. Yeah. Although at the same time, you have to be pretty blind to not see it. True. But again, he's probably paid not to see it. Yeah, but still, I remember when I heard that, and my immediate reaction was, he's not serious, is he? Like, he legitimately thinks that there isn't a disconnect between the fans and the team, and even Doran said that interview, like, he went to Sensplex and only got yelled at by one person, and Sean Simpson and Ian Mendez both said to him, he's like, well, yeah, of course they're not going to yell at you, we live in a society. Like, we're not animals. The fact that he got yelled at by a person should suggest that things aren't right. That people thought it was okay. Someone thought it was okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it always, it, to me anyway, from what I've seen, and I got a chance to watch the presser from the other day after the firing of Guy Boucher, and I know Ian Mendez was there asking him a question, and I almost got a sense that Dorian was being a bit of a dick to Mendez, 
in how he answered his question because Doran just looked at him and he says, well, you know, you've got about four hours to answer that, don't you? Yeah, wow. I was like, whoa. Like, I got to understand if it's Brent Wallace, right? Because obviously Melnick made the comments about Wallace that he would bury him. And mm-hmm. even... And I got to love Brent Wallace in that presser where he just at, flat out asked Doran, not does he have a budget, but if he has a budget for a new coach next year. <laughs> and I was like, well done, Brent Wallace. Well done. It's fucking savage. That's what that is. It is. And Dorian, in the TSN 1200 interview, he also went on to pump the young core that Ottawa has, which, in fairness, we do have a decent young core. We've got Thomas Shabbat. We've got Brady Dechuk, Drake Batherson, Colin White, Philip Shalak, Bick, Brunstrom, we've got Hogbird, we've got... And he's still maintaining that Melnick is committed to keeping them in three years. Oh, boy. And I think that's the sticking point, is we have no reason to believe him. No, absolutely not. But you know what? And even I've said on the show, I think the reason why Melnick has stated that he's committed to keeping him in three years is because he's going to get a lot of money from the Seattle expansion coming in in 2020. How much of that's going to get eaten by debt? Because if you look at the Senators' operating expenses, it's not good. No. The interest... The interest charges are high and getting worse, and they already cut front office to the bone, and they're still not solvent. Player expenditures next, and if that deep six is gate revenue, they're going to have problems. And gate revenue is down this year. Absolutely, but you know what? Do we even blame fans for not going? And, and we oh. can't. You can't even say, "Oh, the arena's in Canada; it's a pain in the ass to get out there." But you know what? <coughs> It was out there when the team was good, and people went. So it's not a matter of the arena is in a bad place. It's the fact is the product on the ice is not good enough to want the fans to come out and watch it. And not only that, there's no hope that it'll get any better. No. No. Even I said on Twitter, I says, being a Senators fan in 2019 is like being an Islanders fan of the late 90s and a Sabres fan of the early 2000s, where you had all these talented players really good players and because of ownership they're all gone mm-hmm. well it's everyone keeps coming back to the disaster scenario of the Montreal Expos true and you know what I've been saying that for years that the Senators are the NHL's equivalent of the Montreal Expos they're a team in a smaller market who could never attract the big names so that's why they went out they scouted drafted and developed their own stars and you can look at the Montreal Expos. You can look at, you know, you can look at your Gary Carters, your Vladimir Guerrero's. Oh, I was gonna say, not really Pedro Martinez. He got brought in the trade, but even you look at the Senators, right? You know, we had Yashin, Bonk, Alfredson, Phillips, Redden, Stone, Carlson. You know, you look at all these players that we've scouted, drafted, and developed, and they're all gone. And the other thing is. The Montreal Expos were bleeding money, couldn't keep the players. Then all of a sudden, the fans realized it, stopped showing up, and that was the show. Yeah. Now, I don't think that it's going to get that bad with the Senators because, and I know you've said it in the past, I don't think the Board of Governors would approve Melnick to move the team to Quebec City. No. And I don't think the Board of Governors will approve a move, especially because the optics would be terrible. Like, 
you're, you go you go to the mat for Phoenix, Arizona, but you won't go to the mat for the capital of Canada. Yeah. Honestly, I think they'll force a sale before a move, and I don't. I'm not sure if Melnick can really keep the Senators going at the current cash burn rate because. I'm guessing most of his money is tied up in other assets, so he needs to keep taking loans on those assets, and eventually he's not going to be able to keep doing it. Exactly. Because the interest rate's going to be huge. Yeah. And I know uh, a couple of notes I want to – just a couple more notes I want to make here. In reference to the attachment the fans had to guys like Stone, Duchesne, Dezingle, Dorian has just flat out told fans to get married to another player. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Okay, so you're basically you're telling somebody to find a new player because your boss didn't want to keep our f- current favorite players around. Okay, so you're saying in what three four years when guys like Shabbat and Dechuk and these guys' contracts are up and they're gone, are you going to be telling us the exact same thing in four years? Well, I mean, Dorian's probably not around in three four years, but. It remains the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not right, and especially when you're trying to build faith with the fan base, right? When you say comments like that, with comments like that, it's more of a, well, why should I go out and spend $200 on a Shabbat jersey? Why should I go spend my money on a Brady Chuck jersey if these guys are going to be gone in a few years? Yeah, pretty much. But the nice thing is the media pressure's really turned up and I've got a feeling it's not subsiding this time. No, absolutely not, man. Like, and it's at the national and it's national media pressure. I know. You know no, it's, it's bad when even Tim and Sid are just saying that the senators are hot garbage now. Well, it's even Ameri- it's even American media pressure because you've got uh like guys on NBC talking about it. Really? Yeah, it came up on the NBC panel and they just tarred Melnick. Like, no one's going to bat for the guy anymore. No, and why should they? Like, not even Don freaking Cherry. No, but I mean, Cherry's more more occupied with, you know, that bunch of jerks down in Carolina, though. True. But, like, Don Cherry just came out and called, basically called Melnick an asshole on Hockey Night in Canada. Well, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And that's the thing, is, like, the longer this goes... I think it's the hard it's harder for the league to not intervene exactly i mean and we've been saying this for a while now at what point does the league step in because you see how yeah. melnick has ran this team into the ground right yeah and i think uh we're gonna cover how this gets even dumber and top of the hour absolutely i uh, just one more comment i want to make before we head on into top of the hour was pierre dorian's comments about anthony duclair he said he would have made a real first impression had he not hit the post in the final minute of his first game as a center. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, I was like, well, that's pretty harsh. I mean, he played a really good game, Pierre. And he goes and he's had two or three goals since since he got traded. The guy's playing really well. I mean, sure, it might not be enough to keep him on, keep him on an NHL roster, but he's not bad no he's not and definitely and, and we will cover that when we get to the games tim that you know he had some really strong games in games that we got blown the fuck out <clears throat> yeah it's 
No, it's just a shitty comment to make. It is. Don't. Yeah, now given that his comment was made right after the deadline, and no, in fairness, Duclair didn't score in that game. So basically that's what he's basing it off. But I think if he were to say that three or four days later when he finally did score and he was playing great in those games that we were getting blown out in, I think you would have seen Sen's Twitter absolutely bash him for that comment. No, I think if he said that later after Duclair had potted two goals, it would have been, it would have come off as a funny comment. It would have been depreciate, silly humor. Like, oh, that's great. But a first impression, ha ha ha. Like, it, I think it would have been more appropriate as a joke then, but after the first game, that just comes off as dickish. True. Like, there's a time and a place, right? There is. There is. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up our comments regarding the Mark Stone rant and the comments of Pierre Dorian from our TSN 1200 interview. Yeah. So you know what that means? It's our favorite time of the episode. It's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, you know how I feel about starting Top of the Hour off with a death. And, unfortunately, this is another Top of the Hour where we got to talk about a death. Montreal Canadiens defenseman Xavier Olette's mother passed away after a battle with cancer. The announcement was made during the broadcast between the San Jose Sharks and Detroit Red Wings, Olette's draft team. That is, it's a shame, but what are you going to do? Yeah, and I know that somebody had made comments online that because Olette's career never really got off the ground, and apparently she had been battling for a while now, and somebody said that they're starting to make a connection between his mother battling cancer and Olette's career never really getting off the ground, because you can tell that's where his head was at. Yeah, that's definitely, that's possible, but, uh, I mean, who's to say? Exactly. I think that's just kind of a bit of a bridge too far when we're talking about someone, some guy, like someone's mom who just passed away. Because, mm-hmm. like, I guess you could look at the opposite with, uh, like, Nicole like Nicole Anderson and Craig Anderson, where Craig really stepped it up after he got back to the ice. He did. It's hard, and but... It's really hard to say with this sort of thing because it's so psychological and we don't really understand a lot of facets of it. So either way, I wish the Ollett family the best. Absolutely. Arizona Coyotes have retired Shane Doan's number 19 prior to the game versus Winnipeg. Doan, drafted 7th overall by the Winnipeg Jets in 1995, played 21 seasons with the Jets slash Coyotes franchise, recording 402 goals, 570 assists for 972 points in 1,540 games while serving as the team's captain from 2003 until his retirement in 2017. Just a class act, Shane Doan, man. Like, and, and I know next week we'll be talking about the Jersey retirement of Drone McGillah. And Drone and Shane, a couple of really class acts. And the only thing that Shane doesn't have is Drone McGillah's numbers. He has really good numbers, but we don't really know about it because, again, he played in Arizona his whole career. Well, I mean, he didn't get to the big 1,000. Doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Doesn't really, never went as far into the playoffs as Jerome McGinley did. And it's 
Like, the guy's a class act, and he'll probably be remembered around hockey circles for a long time. Mm-hmm. Not a Hall of Famer. He's not. And and I know that even on our, our Hockey Hall of Fame wish list episode we did last summer, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was one of the guys, either I think we said it on camera or off, that Shane Doan has really good numbers, but he's not Hall of Fame material. No, no, he definitely isn't. Absolutely. But one thing that a lot of players said is he helped players feel at home on the team. Mm-hmm. Which definitely can't be overlooked. No, absolutely not. And I know that Dan Carcillo had a Twitter, th- Twitter thread after Shane Doan's retirement talking about how when he got traded from Pittsburgh to Phoenix, the first guy he met was Shane Doan, and Shane made him absolutely feel right at home in Arizona. Mm-hmm. The NHL Alumni Association has signed a landmark agreement with Canopy Growth Corp. to finance one or more studies that could be an important step towards establishing the first comprehensive snapshot of the health of retired players. Canopy Growth has committed to fund a study of 100 former players to look at their mental health and emotional state while taking blood slash biomarkers as well as brain scans. Isn't Canopy Growth a marijuana company? They are. This just seems bizarre. Well, I guess it's just Canopy Growth gets to put their name out in association with the AHL. Sorry, the AHLPA, but I really... I wonder what they get out of this other than maybe hoping to slide marijuana as good for concussions into the report. Yeah, because I know, and I even heard on Spit and Chicklets, Darren McCarty was on an interview with them, and Darren talked about how he was addicted to painkillers, and then once his career ended, he started smoking marijuana, and it helped him stay off pills. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Because both of these groups do have an interest in the outcome of the report, but mm-hmm. again, if they do good science, they could do good science, but we'll have to wait and see what it actually looks like. For sure. New York Islander fans made a Dear John video for their former captain, John Tavares, in advance to his return to Long Island as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tavares, drafted first overall in 2009 by the Islanders, signed with the Leafs last July. I didn't get a chance to watch the video, but I imagine it's about as aggressive as his homecoming to the Nassau Coliseum this week. It was really cringeworthy. I watched that and I'm thinking, these people can't legitimately believe that what they're saying. Because this guy gave nine, ten years of his life to this team. And now I understand that he only took them to the playoffs a handful of times and won them a playoff series. But you know what? You look at all the other star players they had, like Alexi Yashin or some of the other guys. How many of those guys have ever taken them past the first round? Not many. But on the other hand, the way he left was LeBron tier. Yeah, it was really shitty. And even I said to somebody at work, I said, you know, I can understand why Islander fans are pissed right off because if John Tavares knew he was going to leave, he should have gone to the Islanders management and be like, okay, I'm not coming back next year. You guys are probably going to have to rebuild. So why don't I give you 10 teams, trade me one of them, and get something back? Well, the other thing is he made it seem like he was going to resign right up to the last minute, said lol, and went to Toronto. Yeah, because there was a strong indication that he was going to resign, even though Toronto was very much interested in his services. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's the shitty thing. 
and oh, like it absolutely I, is I, shitty. I, like I hundred percent get why Islanders fans are pissed right off, but yeah, no, that video was cringy. Absolutely. Well, Tim, we're gonna turn our attention from the New York Islanders to a former New York Ranger. Former New York Ranger Sean Avery made comments in a video for Spit and Chicklets regarding Toronto Maple Leaf center John Tavares's return to Long Island. Avery bashed the Islander fans, calling them losers for ruining his night in his return, calling him a snake, and throwing snakes on the ice. He also went on to refer to Islander fans as greasy fox who get outcheered in their own building by Rangers fans. Honestly, not Avery's best performance. No. I think there's definitely been more creative insults, but at the same time, meh. The snake stuff was definitely a little over the top, but... The guy should have expected to be booed. True. And what about that one fan that threw the Islander jersey at him? Uh, again, like, I think it's, if you leave like that, you're gonna get, like, shit's gonna happen. And, like, tossing jerseys, getting booed, I don't think there's anything too much wrong with that. Throwing the snakes is a little much. Yeah, which is funny, and then, like, what was it, the night or two after that, the Toronto Maple Leafs made John Tavares the final guy, or the final name being called during starting lineups, and he got a big cheer from Toronto, and somebody made a meme online that says, Lee, or was it Leaf fans get pissed off when the Islander fans boo Tavares, but then they remember that somebody sent a death threat to James Reimer's wife? Yeah, Leafs fans are fucky. And it's weird, because like the Leafs, like I, I think like Leafs fans should at least have some sympathy here, because Matt Sundin did the same shit. Yeah, but the thing is, Matt Sundin was right at the end of his career, though. John Tavares oh, was none. For sure. Like, the, it's like 78 times 10. Yeah. It's well, a shitty thing to do. It is. Let's go on to our next story. Former Nashville Predators draft pick Jonathan Dobby was serving a penalty during the first period of a game with the NAHL's Jonaquie Marqua when a fan began to taunt him and harass his family in the arena with racial taunts. The Montreal Canadiens took to Twitter in response, stating they condemn any behavior that targets anybody based on race, creed, and sexual orientation. You know, whenever you hear about the NA- the NAHL, you know nothing good's going to happen. No. Because it's the, I have less of a shot at playing hockey than even being in the ECHL. I'm just here to get punched in front of a crowd that's here for violence. Yeah, it's glorified MMA on ice. Yeah, and it's not even good fighting, but, yeah, no, shit's fucky. Yeah, it's not right, man. Mm -hmm. And good on the, Montreal Canadiens didn't have to do that, but good for them to, trying to call out gross shit that's happening in their own backyard. Exactly. Sticking with the Montreal Canadiens, Montreal Canadiens fam Tammy Whitehead shared a video to social media of her nephew Anderson meeting his idol, Carey Price. Anderson's mother promised she would do everything she can to make his dream come true. Sadly, she passed away before she can fulfill her promise. However, thanks to some fans and the Habs organization, Anderson's dream became a reality. This is just a really sweet story overall. And, yeah, it's awesome that Habs fans were able to facilitate this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That's just really sweet. Absolutely. And, you know, given my thoughts on the Montreal Canadiens and Carey Price, I got to tip my hat to Carey Price on that one because, and I know I've made on the comments about him in the past because one of my cousins 
was in a hockey camp with him when he was 17. But when you see stuff like that, it kind of contradicts what he said. It's just like, well, obviously he cares about the fans if he's willing to give the fan a hug, sign his jersey, and sign him the goalie stick as well. Yeah, and it's it's always good to see, like, these people look up to you, like, and if you're willing to go and just be with them, especially when times are rough, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when it's not when they're not in hospital, right? Because that's what a lot of Montreal Canadian players have been very well known to do, is that they'll go to the Montreal Children's Hospital and they'll spend time with them. Mm-hmm. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of family hardship outside the hospital too, so this is great work by the HAPS organization. Absolutely. New York Islanders defenseman Johnny Boychuk left the ice immediately following taking a skate blade to the throat during the Islanders game versus Toronto. Boychuk, thankfully, was able to return to the bench. Wow. Like, that's always scary, and I'm surprised that these guys... I'm surprised the PA and the NHL don't mandate neck protectors. True, especially after what happened to Richard Zednick, and, of course, what happened to Clint Malarchuk. But you know what? Skates, like, skate blades to the throat is so incommon, or so, so uncommon that maybe the league doesn't feel that it really has to enforce putting that rule in. If it, if it becomes a common occurrence, then they'll have to seriously look at that. I mean, look at their mm-hmm. look at concussions, right? They didn't take concussions very seriously. But then once Sidney Crosby got one and he saw the long-term effects that a lot of these players are having, they finally had no choice to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think the other big thing is uh, it's probably... Like, a neck protector isn't even that much compared to all the other gear you're wearing. You could probably just make it like uh, Thomas Blacanet's turtleneck. Yeah, or an Alexei Yashin. Mm-hmm. And that'll probably be enough because the fabric will eat the, the, the blade slash for the most part. Yeah, even if they make the fabric out of the, what they do with the uh, anti-cut socks for your legs, that would be perfect if they could do that for the necks as well. Yeah, and then you, your neck would be nice and warm too. Very true. San Jose Sharks defenseman Brent Burns appeared on a recent episode of Spit and Chicklets where he told a story about getting attacked by a female cheetah while while visiting an animal sanctuary due to his cashmere sweater he was wearing triggering the predator in the cheetah. Huh. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, are we even that surprised anymore that guys like Brent Burns, stuff like that happens to him? I mean, I guess he kind of looks like a wildebeest. It's true, but apparently from what I was, and I did get a chance to hear that segment of the episode, and Brent was talking about, like, it was him, Joe Thornton, and Paul Martin. They went to an animal sanctuary, and Paul Martin's afraid of animals, and he he refused to get into uh, where the cheetahs were with him, because the cheetah came right up to him and says, yeah, the cheetah is subdued, and you can take a picture with it, but I guess it felt his cashmere sweater, and the cheetah attacked Oh my god. That's so ridiculous. Well, so is this next story, Tim. Diehard Washington Capitals fan Mia Khalifa underwent surgery after a stray puck ruptured one of her breast implants during a Capitals playoff game this past spring. Does that count as a work-related injury? Mm, no, because I don't think Mia Khalifa works for the Capitals. Yeah. Although it definitely... Although, if she is an independent contractor, 
That is true, Tim. That is true. Although I did see the photo that she sent up on Instagram, and the best way I could describe it is: say you have two balloons. If you were uh-huh. to if you were to blow one balloon up, and you know it's big and whatever, and the other one you blew up, but there's not a lot of air, so it looks really saggy and deflated. Uh-huh. That's what it looks like. Oh jeez. Yeah. Can they just redo the implant or? I think they did. Yeah, I think that she had to go in and redo it. Yeah, that that sounds terrifying because like apparently the old silicone one, if it's if it ruptures and is left too long, the old silicone ones used to be able to get into the bloodstream, cause toxosis, and potentially kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and apparently the old silicone stuff is still used in like underground gay fetish scenes. I was reading this article in, uh, I want to say, was it Vice? It might have been Vice about uh, there's this really this abusive dude who uh, forced his boyfriends to just get insane silicone implants in their nutsacks. And this isn't legal, by the way. So they had to do it all underground. One wrong cut in the scrotal area and guy died. I'm literally at a loss for words right now, Tim, that... Yeah. That comment just, just came out of your mouth. Oh, no, it was just something that I thought thought about, because I read this story, I'm just like, the fuck am I reading? But at the same time, it's like, like, how fucked up do you have to be to get underground plastic surgery? Well, those guys, apparently. Well, I mean, the abusive guy's probably, he's fucked up, and then he's harping on these people's insecurities, and then forcing them to get silicone up their nutsack. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah, that's kind of fucked. At least with Mia Khalifa, the fact that she could wait so long, it's the saline uh, implants aren't as dangerous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shit used to be scary. Yeah. Let's move on and let's talk about some signings. Minnesota Wild have re-signed Eric Stahl to a two-year, $6.5 million contract with an AAV 3.25. Stahl recorded 18 goals, 25 assists for 43 points in 63 games for Minnesota. That's actually not a bad contract. It's not. It's a pretty reasonable contract. And I know that Minnesota has been struggling with trying to fit under the cap. So if they can fit a rejuvenated Eric Stahl for that money, then that's a pretty good deal for Minnesota. Yeah, no kidding. And like for $3 million to take him out the rest of his career, that's really good. Yeah, that could be a really good retirement plan right there. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to our next signing. Vegas Golden Knights have re-signed new acquisition Mark Stone to an eight-year contract worth $76 million with an AAV 9.5. Stone recorded 28 goals, 34 assists for 62 points in 59 games for the Ottawa Senators before being traded at the deadline. So before we go on to talk about the signing, I do want to let everybody know, and I, I think we probably already talked about this last week, but I want to... Uh, mention it again that Tim and I are committed to a donation to the Sense Foundation this year and we will honor Mark Stone's 62 points to the Sense Foundation and we will also honor whatever dollar amount to the Vegas Gold Knights Foundation as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we got 62 bucks right now guaranteed going to the Sense Foundation. So let's talk about the signing and you know what's funny it really pains me because I really like this signing. 
and I know that people at work, and I couldn't believe that came out of their mouths. They were saying that Mark Stone's not worth nine point five million a year, and I said, "You are out of your fucking mind." We're talking about one of the top wingers in the league. Like, just because the guy's on a shit team doesn't mean he's shit. And the fact that he's already producing in Vegas, like, dude didn't miss a beat. And it's freaking insane. He was in the city for 20 goddamn minutes, and he signs a long-term contract. Yeah, which won't come into effect until next March. Yeah, it's it's nutty. Yeah. But you know what, though? I'm really happy for Mark Stone. I just I mean, want I, I just want him to be happy, you know, just like Eric Carlson. Well, he gets to live in a really nice city where they don't get winter. Well, that's don't not have true. That's packs. not true. That's it, not true. It snowed in Vegas there this past week. You rarely get winter, but you know what I mean. Yeah, nice I get. I get what you're saying. And plus, well, plus one thing you had didn't mention is that uh, there's no taxes in Vegas for these kind of contracts, and they said that. If he had signed that contract in Ottawa, it would have been up towards of like thirteen million. Yeah. Fucking sales taxes, man. Yeah, man. Sorry, me taxes, man. So we're gonna close off top of the hour with a couple of Ottawa Senator related stories. Ottawa Senators forward Brady Dejack was interviewed by reporters following the trade of his linemate Mark Stone to Vegas when he began to choke back tears as he explained how he would miss his dear friend. Now, this wasn't as heartbreaking as Henrik Lundqvist's interview after Matt Sigarella got traded to Dallas, but you can tell that he was really upset about it. Yeah, well, think about it. Like, you've got this guy, it's your first season in the NHL, you've got this guy you really lucked up to, and then all of a sudden, we'll trade him. Yep. Like, that's got to be heartbreaking. Like, that's a heartbreaking and jading experience for the kid. Yeah, that would be like if Eric Carlson played in his rookie year and we traded Daniel Offerson away. Yeah, that'd be fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, the moment has finally came. The Ottawa Senators have fired head coach Guy Boucher after three seasons. Boucher was hired in 2016, replacing Dave Cameron, recording a 99-108-26 and record, which included a deep playoff run in 2017. Assistant coach Mark Crawford has been named interim head coach. So, you know, Tim, I know that we did, I did the poll on Twitter about how long I can sustain the Vince McMahon, you're fired. Uh-huh. There's one little problem with that now. Yep. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. There's still people in my house still asleep. But I will still honor the you're fired. Are the people the dogs? No. Uh, my sister and my stepdaughter are still asleep. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I want to go on, first of all, record. Guy, although, although you did uh, give us 131, hashtag the system, and the unspeakable horrors of 11-7, Guy Boucher, you're fired! That wasn't very long. No, I just explained why I can't do it very long, Tim. Fair enough, fair enough. There'll be more coach firings. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'm not surprised Guy Boucher is fired. I'm just surprised that they waited so long. Because, again, I think when we talked to Trevor Shackles back in December, he was in the final year of his contract. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm surprised that the Suns just didn't let him ride it out. I don't know, it's hard, because, like, I'm surprised they didn't fire him at the beginning of the season, but the fact that he got the kiss of death, and then literally, like, not even three days later, he's gone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, if you really wanted to show the players that you're committed to winning, you would have fired Boucher before the deadline. Yeah, or at least once the really wacky Galaxy Brain stuff happened. But at the same time, I wonder if Mark Crawford is a development coach because you, like, you hear shit like uh, his like stories from Brent Sopel or like of, of uh, Mark Crawford kicking people. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't sound like a development coach. No, and I've always maintained that Crawford is a perfect kind of coach for a team that has a lot of firepower, and you could see it in the. The very early years of the Colorado Avalanche, you saw it during the West Coast Express era of the Canucks, and really, you saw where it goes wrong when he joined the LA Kings. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, at the same time, you have to wonder, it's like, is that an indictment of his coaching ability in general? That he can only work with high-performing teams? Maybe. Although I did have to have a really good laugh at Dean Brown's tweet. He tweeted out a number of head coaching candidates and on the list was Pierre Maguire. Oh, for fuck's sakes. I know. I saw that and I was like, Pierre Maguire, Rick bonus, Elaine Vigneault. What year are we in where these guys are still head coaching candidates for the Ottawa senators? At least Elaine Vigneault makes sense. Yeah, no, because Vigneault is is not really known as being a development coach, though. He's known as a very... He's known as being really good with veterans, not rookies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, but at the same time, it's like, at least Elaine Vigneault is a real coach. Not like Pierre fucking McGuire. Hey, he he coached. Yeah, but everyone made fun of him. True. Because he wasn't good at it. I don't know. I honestly wonder if they're going to go... And get somebody like a Sheldon Keefe or a Luke Richardson, or even if they get the guy from Belleville, because apparently oh, he, he's been rumored as the head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's been doing very well in a very short period of time with the Belleville Senators. He has, and there was actually one pl- person that was kind of rumored to make a return to Ottawa as a head coach, and that's Jacques Martin. How long has he been out of the league, though? Well, he's still in the league. He's still he's a um, he's not an assistant coach. I think he's like a defensive coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins now. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, but I was I said to somebody at work. I was like, when was the last time he was a head coach? Like, I think the last time I heard he was a head coach was in Montreal, and that was about a decade ago. Yeah, shit's nuts. Yeah, but at the same time, the Belleville. The Belleville Senators are in a three-way tie for seventh place. So, they're in the thick of... They're right knocking at the door for a playoff spot. True. And the way they've been playing, they'll probably get it. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, before we go on to our final story of top of the hour, I just got two words to say. Uh-huh. You're fired! Better? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, on to our final story. Former NHLer Mark Frazier took to Twitter to criticize Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick following the news regarding the LeBreton Flats de- redevelopment talks fell through. 
Frazier said in a tweet that it pains him to see plans for a downtown arena in Ottawa fall as a resident of the city, while adding that playing for the Binghamton Senators was the worst experience of his playing career. Which is insane, given that Mark Fraser played for some of those, uh, like, Ferguson Jr. Maple Leafs teams, and he, pl- and he played on the rebuilding Oilers. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's... That's some pretty stiff competition for pure dysfunction and shitty places to be. It's true. Because you think about it, right? And you're right. I mean, he played for the Leafs during that dark dark period of the late 2000s. He played for the Rebuilding Oilers. And I actually totally forgot he was with us for a while there. Yeah. and But I'm also not surprised because you have this crazy stuff is happening to the top-line players. Imagine what imagine what's actually happened to players that mistreatment can slide under the rug for. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's probably pretty nuts for them down in uh, down in Yeah. Well, been at the time. I, you know what? I honestly can't wait for the day that TSN does their TSN original on the dysfunction of the Ottawa Senators. It's going to be funny because we'll, like, we'll probably be in our 30s whenever it happens. We'll look back. It's like, Look at what young us put up with. That's some bullshit. So true, Tim. It's so true. Yeah, but I don't think there's much you can say, uh, except for how the hell did Eugene Melnick fuck up LeBreton Flats? I mean, are we even really that surprised, Tim? I, I mean, it should have been a slam dunk. You had a city that's willing. You had building partners. You just had to not piss them off. Like, this should have been a straight shot. Hell, you had the other group doing the construction and the logistics. You just had to front the money. Yeah, but you know what, though? And we've said in the past that Melnick's financial woes is a big reason why that got shot down. Yeah, but it's just... Holy shit, if he's willing to just roll over short-term debt for to keep the team running... What the hell is another hundred? What the hell is a bit more leverage? Just get it done. Yeah, but unfortunately, we're not in that situation, Tim. So we can't really comment. But this is this is radioactive for the league. It is, and you know because what? I can, I really hope that in a few years we can look back at this moment and be like, ha, "Remember when we thought there was no hope? How foolish of us!" True, but at the same time, it's like this sucks for every other team that wants a new arena. Yeah, because... Because basically, oh, you owners aren't arguing in good faith at all. You just want free shit. Look at what happened in Ottawa. Yep, and even uh, Jim Watson, mayor of Ottawa, has come out and says, no, you want this arena? you got to pay for it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a... You know what? That's what... And you even when you were on Maple Surf Shots, you said that... You know, we saw the same shit play out in Pittsburgh and Edmonton where the cities were just bending backwards for these teams to build those new arenas. Mm-hmm. And even the NCC kind of was. And Melnick fucked it up. Yep. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up Top of the Air for another episode, which means it's time to go on to the games. Now, we've got four games to talk about today. We've got the Flames versus the Senators, Senators versus the Capitals, Oilers versus the Senators, and the Senators versus the Lightning. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Music. 
Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Flames versus the Senators. This is a 2-1 Flames victory. Flames goals are scored by Michael Bracklin and Austin Cernick. Senators goals are scored by Dachakamania. Shots were 35-23 for the Calgary Flames. A way more exciting and better game than it needed to be. Despite Calgary dominating Ottawa for half of this game, Ottawa greatly improved on both sides of the puck to tie the game and almost take the lead with an Anthony Duclair breakaway, which hits the post only to have Calgary come back down and score. So I'm going to start off with Craig Anderson, 33 saves at .943 save percentage. To me, he came up really big for Ottawa in this game when he needed it. And he made a number of great saves to keep Ottawa in it. Oh, for sure. If Craig Anderson had a normal game, like an, a league average game, Ottawa would have been blown the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for the first half of the game, Calgary came hard and just didn't stop. Yeah, and you could definitely tell, right? Because of all the inexperience with the Senators on defense and even with a lot of the young guns up front, you can tell that Calgary took full advantage of that. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, Ottawa didn't look terrible. Like, I thought that the Shabbat DeMello line looked really good. Mm-hmm. Like, when they were on the ice, things were generally getting done well. Everything else was kind of shaky. Christian Willanen did not have a very good game. No, he did not. Although, he was tied with Cor- He kind of was attached to the hip to Corey Goldbooth. Oh, uh, Gulbeth? Yeah, Gulabeth, yeah, who didn't have a particularly great game either. No. Uh, I want to quickly talk about the young guns, and this is something that I guess over the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about is, to me, despite looking completely lost out there early on, they did have the energy, and they greatly improved as the game went on. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see the game start to tilt once the once like Brown and Duclair really get going. Yeah. And they start to look really good by the end of the game. It's a shame that when Duclair hit the post, it came back the other way. I know, that was such a heartbreaker. I legitimately thought when Duclair took that shot, I thought it was in. I was like, oh god. And then they came back and scored. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, no, I thought I thought they all played quite well. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the next note I have is about Anthony Duclair. Even though he had one shot, to me, he looked really good in this game, especially on that last-minute breakaway, which almost won it for Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the guy realizes that this is his last chance. Yeah, and he's taking full advantage of it, right? Because, and I'm sure once we get to our second-half recap here in a few weeks, he'll definitely be a guy I've mentioned. But to me, when he came to Ottawa from Columbus, he just seemed like a guy that was just sort of thrown in there. Mm-hmm. As a roster spot, and I was thinking, okay, you know, you know, because we didn't, you know, because we seen him flame out in Arizona, we saw him flame out in Chicago, we saw him flame out in Columbus, but now he's coming to Ottawa, and it's like night and day with Anthony Duclair right now. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see if he can sustain it into next season. Absolutely, because he does have that history of flaming out. True, but you know but, what? I think if they can keep him in a role where he can really develop and he can really play well, then I will be more than happy to keep Anthony Clare around. Yeah. And the other thing is, he's 23. 
he's got time. Like Dzingel never, Dzingel never really hit form until twenty six, so it might just be he's a bit immature. I would say twenty four, twenty five. To be honest with Dzingel, because yeah. in the sixteen, seventeen season, that's when he really had his breakthrough. Mm-hmm. So it's like Anthony Declare is still young, and he has the skill. Yep. And he has the ability to apply it at the NHL level. Yeah, and, and we're and seeing that. He has the IQ. He just has to get consistency down, and I think that's something he can learn. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially if they're going to give him a lot of ice time in Ottawa. So, yeah, if they sign him next season, I think that all he has to do is have a few more good games, and he'll be signed for next season. And I'll be happy to see what he can do in a full season. Absolutely. Now, the last note I want to make, this was the first matchup between... To Chuckamania and Matthew 316. I don't don't even know why I put Matthew 316. Yeah, Brady to Chuck versus Matthew to Chuck. To me, it was as advertised. Uh, Brady had three shots, Matthew had four. And there was a play behind the net where, if you remember Crosby turnstiling Jason Spezza in 2010, Yep, that's what Brady did to Matthew behind the net. Oh, it was sick. There was also two... If I'm, am I thinking of the right game with the two disallowed goals? Yeah, it was, the, it was this one. Yeah. Yeah, Colin White. Was it? No, it wasn't Colin White. That was another game. Yeah, it was um, one it was of them was goalie interference. Well, both of them were goalie interference. Yeah, because uh, the goalies both had the pucks frozen. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of shitty. Yeah. It was an interesting game. It was. And I think... I'm glad that those goals dis- got disallowed because that seemed, both of those instances did seem like a correct interpretation. It both seemed to be what I would interpret to be goaltender interference. Yeah, because I always assumed once the puck was frozen, the play was dead. But I didn't hear a whistle, and I could see the guy whack at it, and it went in. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to count it. And it didn't. Yeah, and then same thing happened on the other end of the ice. Yeah. Overall, fun game. It was, yeah, it was, like I said, it was a much better game than it really needed to be. And it really gave us some false hope that better days were ahead of us. I know. I know. Sens versus Capitals. This is a 7-2 Capitals victory. Sens scores scored by Oscar Lindbergh and Anthony Duclair. Capitals scores scored by TJ Oshie with two, Tom Wilson, Lars Eller, John Carlson, and Brett Connolly. Shots were 35-23 for the Capitals. Oscar Lindbergh gets his first goal as a senator to make it 1-0 after new acquisition. Brian Gibbons picks up the rebound and cross-crease passes to Lindbergh. Duclair scores top shelf to make it 2-0 senators. Tom Wilson scores for Washington to cut the lead in half after a good defensive play to break up the Padgill breakaway. Lars Eller scores to tie the game at 2. And then the floodgates opened. John Carlson 3-2, TJ Oshie 4-2, Brett Connolly 5-2, Oshie again with a second to make it 6-2, and Evgeny Kuchnetsev to make it 7-2. So I had to condense watch this game because I had to go to play hockey early in the morning and I was following the game on my phone at work and I just I really just couldn't bring myself to watch the, this game in its entirety. I think the best way to describe this game and I think the great poet of our time, Ron Burgundy, said it best when he said, boy, that escalated that, quickly. Wait. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Yeah. Like, where did you get a grenade, Brick? I don't know. I saw that. 
Brick killed a guy. Yeah, you're going to want to lay low for a while. And by you, I mean the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. But the team came out... The team came out strong. Okay. I'll give them that. Like, the first the first five minutes, they looked good, scored two goals, and they just kind of disappeared. You know what? Even though I didn't watch this game from the condensed game that I watched, to me, it seemed worse than expected. The defense was nowhere to be found. Nelson got let up, and... I would even go on record. This is probably one of the worst games I've ever seen Ottawa play in the years of me being a fan. Yeah. Honestly, it it looked like a game where they tried to come out and then all of a sudden there was no heart left. Yeah. They didn't care. And for the week they had, can you blame them? True. Although I do got to talk about the two bright spots for this game was Anthony Declare and Oscar Lindbergh because... Anthony Duclair, as we said in the last game, he's continuing to impress with the Senators, and Oscar Lindbergh got his first goal as a Senator in his first game. Mm-hmm. And I think Anthony Duclair actually had a pretty good game, all things all things considered. Sure, he got buried. He was on for more shots for than against. But the Senator, there's not much that he could really do. His shots were good and scored on the power play, so like, he looked good. Yeah. It was just, Ottawa got crushed. Well, I know even on Sen's Twitter, that was the overall reaction from Duclair was, wow, this Anthony Duclair is actually having a really good game. And then it went silent. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, that game just went fucking sideways real quick. Yeah. I think for me, the play that perfectly summed up this game was TJ Oshie's 6-2 goal. Craig Anderson knocks the net off, the puck goes in, and the cap- and it counts. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. That sums it up pretty damn well, Ted. Do you want to go on to the third game? Yeah, it's much of the same. Oilers versus Senators. This is a 4-2 to Oilers victory. Oilers goals are scored by Connor McDavid, Sam Gagne, Colby Cave, and Zach Cassian. Senators goals are scored by Chris Tierney and Mark Borieski. Shots were 37-25 for Ottawa. Chris Tierney scores on a scramble to make it one nothing Senators. McDavid deeks Anderson out of his jock to tie the game at 1. Sam Gagne scores to make it 2-1 Oilers after the Sens D loses the puck in their skates. Colby Cave scores to make it 3-1 Oilers after getting behind Shabbat. Borough scores to make it 3-2. Colin White appears to tie it at 3. However, is called back for high sticking. And Zach Cassian scores on the empty netter to make it 4-2 Oilers victory. So once again, I had to condense watch this game because I had a really long day at work and I just crashed as soon as I got home. Mainly because I went to play hockey the previous day and once I got off the ice, I forgot to stretch. So when I woke up the next morning, my legs were killing me, my hip was killing me, my groin was killing me, and I had trouble moving around. And I just said to myself, I can't literally sit down for two hours to watch hockey tonight. And I just, I just went to bed. Honestly, that's fair. Uh, this was a game that, if Edmonton is getting depth support, you know you played bad. Yeah. Connor McDavid only got to the score sheet once. True. But for me, and this is what I was able to see, it looked like it was a, maybe a night night and day performance for the Sens. Overall, the team's performance was much better. However, it was a mixed bag as offense was decent. However, the defense and goaltending was not great. True, and it's some lines really showed up, other ones really didn't. Like I felt 
like Thomas Chabot, Pajot, Bobby Ryan, and Pay Arby, mm-hmm. they came to play. Everyone else, not so much. Oh, and Anthony DeClaire, but everyone else, not so much. Yeah, I do got to talk about Chris Tierney because from the from what I saw, you know, he had one goal and four shots. I thought he looked pretty strong. Yeah, he looked pretty good. One of his best games in a while, honestly. Yeah, because what? from what I saw, it looks like he was right in the slot. He looks like he was doing everything right, and he was able to get a goal. Hmm. Although, I don't remember. What did he do to, to end up getting a 10-minute misconduct? I didn't even realize he got 10-minute misconduct, Tim. Yeah. Uh, Chris Tenere, misconduct 10-minute. Yeah, we can quickly check that. Okay. Also, is my keyboard really loud? It's coming in, definitely, but I don't think it's that overly loud. Yeah, because I got a new mechanical one. Oh, did you? Yeah, so it's really clicky. Okay. kind of like Clicky, clicky, clicky. Click, click, click. Yeah. But then again, I guess I'm going to... Chelsea tells me I'm an impressed... Sorry, I'm an uh, aggressive typer anyway, so... It, it probably won't make that much of a difference. It is true, because even on our trade deadline episode, all you hear is... On your end. Yeah, Chris Tenere misconduct. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, one more note I want to make. Mark Borviasi actually scored? Oh, yeah. Using... Uh, Brady to Chuck Stick. Brady to Chuck Stick. Yeah, apparently from what I was hearing that he got to Chuck Stick and he just cut it down. Yeah, yeah. Like, made no other modifications. Yeah, which honestly makes me wonder if Brady to Chuck uses a longer stick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, I use a longer stick when I play hockey, too, and it seemed to work out great for me. Mm-hmm. Or a better curvature, who knows? Maybe. Well, I don't think, I don't know, I maybe the curvature might help, but then again, I don't really know what the exact specs of Brady to Chuck sticks are, so I can't really comment on it. Yeah. Hard to say, honestly. Yep. Well, Tim, let's head on to the fourth and final game of the evening. Sens versus Lightning. This is a 5-1 to one Lightning victory. Sens goals are scored by Anthony Duclair. Lightning goals are scored by Victor Hedman, Ryan Madonna, Eric Sernick, Nikita Kucherov, and Miguel Sergeyev. Shots were 37-34 for Ottawa. Excuse me. Victor Hedman scores to make it 1-0 Tampa after Ottawa fails to clear it. Ryan McDonough scores to make it 2-0 Tampa Bay. Duclair scores to make it 2-1 with a beauty goal. Eric Cernick scores to make a 3-1 Tampa with Anderson screened. Bobby Ryan is rewarded with a penalty shot, however, can't score. Nikita Kucherov scores to make a 4-1 Tampa. And Miguel Sertchev scores to make it 5-1 Tampa final. Once again, I had to condense watch this game. Because yeah, I, I, had, I, I had... I watched this game, but... Chelsea and I were playing Tales of Vesperia while the game was on because it was getting kind of depressing. Yeah. Well, you know, you need to, do, you need to find out stuff to... Uh, get it through anyway yeah i had to condense watch because i had to work late due to reception at the head of the school's house and we had the theater group come in because they had a play throughout the week they were doing west side story nice yeah lots of snaps exactly i just want to quickly talk about craig anderson 29 saves a 0.853 save percentage i actually felt really bad for him because to me there was not much he can do on those goals as he was screened on at least two of them and, like, a lot of it was just really good forward placement. And a lot of the shots, even though they were defensemen, they were coming in for pretty tight. Yes, they were. 
Uh, a fun fact, this is apparently the first time in Tampa Bay franchise history that four defensemen have scored and all six defensemen playing ended up on the goal sheet. Really? Sorry, on the score sheet, yeah. Hmm. Kind of crazy. Yeah, but you're also crazy. playing one of the worst teams in the post the post salary cap era, so not surprising. This game looked like it was going to be a bit better uh, with Duclair score, scoring to make it 2-1 off a really nice goal, but then, yeah, no, the team kind of disappeared. And it looks like Mark Crawford is joining the Ottawa club of coaches who can't count. Ottawa had a too-many-men penalty. It's not right, man. Although, when we talk about next week, Mark Crawford did tie Roger Nielsen for one win. Ooh, powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yes. uh, sorry, speaking of Anthony Duclair, one goal on one shot. This is becoming a trend. I've been really happy with his play, and I really hope that when we get to talk about the games next week, that Anthony Duclair will have another big week for us. Yeah, he's honestly fun to watch because he just zips around the ice. But, uh, yeah, the Senators got buried at even strength here. So no one's really looking all that good. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind DeMello and Shabbat, but everyone else just got lit up. Honestly, I'm not sure including Christian Willinen would have helped that much, but it would have meant that Harper CC wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Or Borgietsky Yaros wasn't a thing. Because those are things that shouldn't be things. No. And Harper CC got buried. Did they? Yeah, CC was on. Harper was on ice for two goals against. CC was on ice for three. It was bad. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, one more note I do want to make about this game. Tampa Bay's third jerseys. Yeah? They look like a really shitty all-star game jersey to me. I thought they looked a lot better in person than in JPEG. Eh. I don't know. I didn't really like them. I just looked at them and like, it, it's just all black. That's what I don't like about the jersey, and at least with teams like L.A. who have an all-black jersey, at least they have the silver and white to make the black pop. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and that's why I hate the All-Star Game jerseys of the last several years, because they don't look nice at all. They just look like they threw a bunch of shit at a canvas and saw what stuck. Yeah, well, they're probably not trying too hard to sit. They're only trying to sell... They're probably not trying to sell a ton of jerseys. True. Uh, yeah, that's really about it. Yeah. Uh, another dispiriting performance, and not a great debut for for head coach uh, Mark, Mark Crawford, but what exactly were you expecting? True. Although he did apparently look better in the next game against Florida. It, he did. But the Florida also gave up a lot of a lot more ice than I was expecting. Other than that, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the Senators go forward with this kind of husk of a team. True. So do you have any more comments you want to make before we head off into the close for another day? Uh, it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Uh, thankfully, there's only 20, 20 games or less left. Yeah, if that... Yeah, I think we're at 18 left, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Two, four, six. 
8, 10, 12, 14, 16. Yeah, we're at 16. Thank God. Yeah. Now, before we go on to the close, I just want to say that this episode is a pre-birthday episode for me. Oh. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It's my birthday tomorrow, buddy. Enjoy it, man. Thank you, man. Even though I do have to work, but I am glad that you and I can get together this morning to do this episode. Yeah, no kidding. And again, thank you for fitting me in, man. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eh, I'm just going to be collecting train stations today, so nothing too much. Yeah. Well, first of all, guys, all thank right. you so much for listening to the Third Line Plex Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at thirdlinepluggers, our Twitter handle. Tim is at m901honeybadger and at, at greatwhitegipster, g-r-8-w-y-t-e, gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about how shitty the Tampa Bay Lightning third jerseys are, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got four games to talk about for this coming week. We've got yesterday's win versus the Florida Panthers. Tomorrow, in Long Island to play the Islanders. Thursday, in Ottawa to play the Islanders. And Saturday, in Boston, to play the Bruins. Oh, that's going to be rough. Yeah, hopefully, well, we've well, we got one win. Maybe we yeah, can get two. Maybe, maybe they can win tomorrow for my birthday. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Here's hoping. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. So long, my time here is up. They're gone.